This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Chris Dearborn. I'm a associate clinical professor here at Suffolk University Law School. I specialize in criminal law and criminal procedure and state constitutional law. Uh, we are recording today, June 30th, 2011. And we're going to talk about the uh, some issues that have come up with the Whitey Bulger case. One of the things that's interesting about this case, it's so fluid and dynamic in terms of what the relevant issues are, uh, that new things keep happening every day. At the onset, one of the most interesting issues was the issue of whether, first, who was going to represent Whitey and whether he was entitled to public counsel or not. In a somewhat unusual fashion, the U.S. Attorney's Office got actively involved in that and was pushing the court to essentially find that he was not indigent, in other words, not entitled to appointed uh, counsel. So there was a lot of dispute and attention played to that role, and there are sort of a couple of issues that come out of that. Uh, the first is, as a, as a fundamental basis, under the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution, everybody's entitled to counsel. Uh, and if you can't afford a lawyer, you are entitled to have one. The prosecution was the U.S. Attorney's Office was sort of doing a come on now. Whitey's got all this money. We found $800,000 in California. He's got all these resources. He's got a brother who obviously has financial resources. How could he possibly be entitled to appointed counsel? And I think that sort of missed the boat on several fundamental levels. First of all, no sibling or family member has any obligation to hire a lawyer for somebody. So when you're assessing whether somebody is entitled to court-appointed counsel, uh, it's their own assets, their own resources. Now, first off, Whitey is, uh, is incarcerated. Obviously, he's not working. He's been on the run for a while. And even if he had access to a lot of resources at, at one point in time, as soon as those resources were tapped into to potentially hire a lawyer, the United States government could seize those assets, and then he'd no longer have the ability to pay a lawyer. They could also look into, under a Supreme Court precedent, where that money came from, which does create a real tension between the Sixth Amendment right to counsel and the Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate yourself. So you can imagine if White had said, okay, you know, here's my million dollars, I'm going to hire a lawyer. The government looked into where that money came from, and presto, that may be illegal dealings and most likely came from illegal sources, and then uh, he would be functionally, if not literally, incriminating himself. So I think that was the sort of starting point with that issue, but that seems to have worked it out that I think he's going to get appointed a lawyer or a team of lawyers, which raises another interesting issue, which is who could take this case and who would want to take this case? Who could take this case? There are a lot of really talented lawyers out there who would be qualified to take the case, but many of them, and including a vast majority of the people on the court-appointed list for federal court in Boston, have conflicts. In other words, they have represented somebody else who was involved in this case at some point in time, and so ethically they can't take the case. The second question is, because this is going to be such a complicated, thoroughly litigated, drawn-out case with a lot of issues, um, a single solo practitioner at $100 an hour, which is what you get paid by the United States government to do these court-appointed cases in federal court, would struggle, and they may have to shut down, literally shut down the rest of their practice. So finding somebody who is A, qualified, B, doesn't have a conflict, and C, has the resources to weather uh, the storm and devote all the attention the case deserves without having it ruin his or her practice um, is, is sort of where it gets complicated. And a couple of the people that have been suggested as taking over the case are very talented, very experienced lawyers, and I think people who uh, have thriving practices and a lot of support, and they could probably take on the case. 
The other issue that came up yesterday that I think is interesting was teased out by another issue the day before is, is the United States Attorney's Office filed a motion to dismiss all of the 1994 charges and only focus on the later charges which involve all the murder and conspiracy to commit murder charges. And that raised some real red flags for the provisional defense lawyer, Peter Krupp, who was just representing Whitey until somebody else came on board. And he thought that the government was doing this with sort of nefarious intentions, the intent of form shopping, because uh, they wanted to get the case away from Judge Wolf, who was inclined to appoint counsel and uh, also maybe make other rulings down the road that the U.S. government wouldn't have been completely happy with. So what was what's happening, I think, either today or tomorrow, is there's a hearing on whether the defense motion to consolidate the cases prior to the dismissal to functionally keep Judge Wolf on the case is going to happen first or whether the judge will accept the dismissal by the government and then those cases will be gone and then the 99 cases will be randomly assigned, which is a practice in federal court, to another judge. The judge does not have a lot of authority to play with the motion to dismiss as a sort of separation of powers issue. And what I mean by that is we have three branches of government in the United States. We have the executive, judicial, and legislative branch. The prosecution falls under the executive branch, obviously different from the judicial branch, and that independence is important. So when a governmental entity says, we are choosing not to prosecute a case for some reasons, independent of what their reasons are at this point, that should be uh, left up to them. Uh, And it's sort of unusual for a defense to challenge the reasons that the government is deciding not to prosecute. And I certainly can't get inside the heads of the United States government, but if the defense is onto something, it's something they had to raise. Part of the reasoning for dropping those charges was to get the case away from Judge Wolf and hopefully to a different judge that they perceive would be more friendly to some of the issues down the road. Then that raises grave ethical concerns. It also raises grave institutional concerns because what kind of confidence can the public have in our prosecutorial entities if they can manipulate the system to forum shop in a situation like this. And that is essentially what the defense team argued in their motion to consolidate cases. This case is unusual, if not unique, in a lot of respects. It's amazing for something to have a week later, new relevant legal issues being brought up every single day and some fundamental issues still haven't been resolved yet. And this, you know, the case is not going to go away. It's going to have legs for a while. A tremendous amount of resources on all sides are going to be utilized in prosecuting this case, right or wrong. That's that's going to be the reality. For all these hot-button issues to pop up in a week is, is phenomenal, and, it's, and, and those are going to keep going on. You already have thousands and thousands of pages of documents from previous prosecutions where Whitey was essentially a co-defendant in absentia because he was on the lam. You have all these issues around him being on the lam, You have issues around counsel, you have issues around judges, around two different sets of charges from 1994 and 1999. You have the theoretical possibility of the death penalty. You have the idea that other jurisdictions could also get involved. There's a wealth of issues and information and stuff that would make for interesting fodder for years to come, I believe. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.